Well, I want you to go ahead and open your Bibles to 2 Kings 6 and 7. We're going to talk about one of my favorite stories in Scripture. It is an amazing story. If you were here yesterday and I told you what we were going to speak about, and then you heard James refer to it, and everybody always thinks, you know, it sounded just like he said he's going to preach on dove dung, bird poop. But I, it, it's in the story we're going to tell you. And I, I too, love stories. I, boy, stories are a great way to, to talk about things. And this is a great story. It starts about the middle of 2 Kings 6, and God's people are at war, and they are besieged. The enemy has surrounded the city, cut off all the food, cut off all the water, and they are starving to death in the city. The siege lasted so long that if you were rich and you could gather up 80 shekels of silver, you could go buy a donkey head to eat. Now, I've been married 43 years. I don't know about the rest of you, but I, we still like to do neat things on our anniversary. But I have never, ever thought, you know what, if I'll start saving now, when our anniversary comes, we can have donkey head. I have never even thought that. Rich people were eating donkey head. But if you were poor, if you were poor, a quarter of a cab of seed pods for five shekels. You say, what, what's, a pot, what, what's a cab of seed pods? Well, if you read your footnote, it's dove dung. If you were rich, things were so bad that you would eat donkey head. But things were so bad if you were poor, you ate dove dung. You bought bird droppings. Now, I have on occasion parked my truck at the Mall of Abilene and I parked too close to a tree, and I walked out and birds have deposited all over my truck. Never have I said, lunch! I have never said that. I've never even thought that. I cannot imagine how hungry you have to be to buy bird droppings to eat. And it gets worse. One day the king's walking along the wall, and two women yell at him and say, King, King, help us. And the king says, Help you? Help you? How can I help you? There's no grain in the threshing floor. There's no wine in the wine press. How am I going to help you? But you know what? What? What do you need? Just tell me. And here's the story the lady told him. Yesterday, she said, Let's kill your son and eat. And tomorrow we will kill my child and eat. And yesterday we killed and ate my child. And today she won't give up her child. She's hidden him. Make her give us her child so we can kill him and eat. How horrible does it have to be that if you're rich you eat donkey head, if you're poor you buy dove dung, and you cannibalize your own children I cannot imagine how it can be any worse. And you know what? It really reminds you a little bit of our world, doesn't it? I mean, think about it a little bit. Every day, somewhere in this world, there's some kind of natural disaster that destroys homes and lives. Earthquakes, fires, tsunamis, hurricanes, tornadoes, on and on and on it goes. There are horrible things that happen. And there's sickness all the time. Just this morning in your congregation, you read names of people that are sick. 
Every day you know somebody who goes to the doctor and they say, I've got bad news from your test results. Little kids that die of leukemia. Grown people that we think die prematurely from cancer. It's a horrible world. And man, there's all the consequence of people's sin. I mean, some guy walks into a nightclub in Orlando and kills 42 people. It's horrible. Man, there are shootings all the time. I, it's, it's about three years since Sandy Hook. Remember that? All those poor kids in elementary school. I, when they were doing the grief counseling afterward, I, I, I got an email from a preacher up there, uh, not a member of the Church of Christ, but a preacher from another group, who said, I've been reading some of your stuff you've written about this world. Can I use it in grief therapy up there? And I thought, what are you going to say? <laughs> what does anybody say in a situation like that? It's horrible. And, you know, we hadn't even touched on our sin. The relationships you've hurt. The people that you could have helped and you didn't. I mean, wow, our world's a mess. I mean, there are pedophiles and alcoholics and thieves and mean people and cruel people and gossips. And, man, you just go on and on and on. It is a hard world we live in, just like they lived in a hard world. You remember the ladies that yelled at the king? When they told him that story, he tore his robes and he said, May God deal with me ever so severely if the head of Elisha, son of Shaphat, remains on his shoulders today. Wait a minute, it's the enemy has got him surrounded. What's he talking about Elisha? You know who Elisha was? He was a prophet of God. You know what the king was saying? God, I blame you. I'll find your prophet. I'll cut his head off because I've had it with this. You know, there are people in our world that still blame God. Sometimes even among us that are believers, we blame God. But our world blames God all the time. All the time. How could God do this to me? Why did God not answer my prayer? Why did God not hear me? This is God's fault. Why would God do that to me, to my child, to my friend, to our community? Why does God, where was God? When this happened, where was God? When I was begging for, why did God not answer? Or, you even hear it like this, don't get mad at me, God made me this way. So whatever I do is not really my fault, it's God's fault. It's all God's fault. We live in a world that blames God. Elisha's sitting at his house and here they all come. At the end of chapter 6, you hear the king say, this disaster is from the Lord. Why should I wait for the Lord any longer? And Elisha says in chapter 7 of 2 Kings, verse 1, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the Lord said. I want to tell you there are still people in the middle of a horrible world that say, listen to the Lord. You know who those people are? That's us. We're the people out among our friends and our family and the people we work with and people in our neighborhood. We're the ones saying, listen to God. We believe in God. Even in the middle of a horrible world, even in the middle of our painful lives, we are the people of God who say, we believe anyway. We are going to hold on to God in spite of the test results, in spite of the car wrecks, in spite of the economic disasters, in spite of the sin of other people, in spite of our sin. We are going to love God 
anyway. Because somebody has to stand in this world and say, we believe in someone bigger and better than us. And that's God. And then Elisha says the oddest thing. (laughs) Now remember, donkey head is selling for 80 shekels of silver. And a few coins buy you dove droppings. And he says, tomorrow you can take those same handful of coins you're buying bird poop with. And you can go buy all the grain and all the wheat and all the stuff you want. (laughs) It is such an outrageous claim that one of the guys with the king kind of helped the king in. He starts laughing. (laughs) He says, you know what? Even if the Lord should open the floodgates of heaven, could that happen? No way. Now, I'm going to tell you, we stand in the middle of a world and say things will be better. God will make this right. Jesus loves you. Your sins can be forgiven. God changes. We are living proof that adulterers are made pure and alcoholics are made sober and mean people are made sweet and gossips are made to speak praise. We are living proof in this assembly there are people that have been healed and changed because of the faith and the power of God. We still stand and say, God will do this. And there are people that look and say, not in this world. Not in my life. Not in my kid. There's no way God can fix this. Because it seems so outrageous in a world that thinks you have to do everything yourself that our God changes lives. And maybe we haven't done a good enough job of standing up and saying, look what God has done with me. We need to be the people saying that. And there are people that are going to say, it doesn't happen. And Elisha says, huh? Yeah, you'll see it. You'll see it. Tomorrow you will see this, but you won't share in it. It's a frightening thing because we stand in the world and say, God is going to redeem this world. Someday His Son is coming back, and you will all know then. You will all know. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that our Jesus is Lord. Everybody will know. Some of us will enjoy and share in that glory, and some won't. Yeah. Verse 3 is, is a sad verse of chapter 7 of Second Kings. In the middle of all this, there are four men with leprosy at the entrance to the city gate. Wow. How bad does it have to be? You understand leprosy was thought to be incredibly contagious. And it was very easy to tell a leper because leprosy affects the extremities of your body. And, and so your fingertips might slough off, your toes might rot away, your ear may be gone, your nose perhaps gone. And, and it was thought to be so contagious that if you were a leper, the only way you were allowed to stay in the city is if you told everybody. So somebody comes up and says, Hi, Steve. You go, Hey, I, leper here. Don't, you might. What, what do lepers do for a living? They don't, they don't do fast food service, I can promise you. <laughs> what do lepers do? Work on furniture? I don't want any furniture or lepers touched. What do you do if you're a leper? You know what you, leper, if you do if you're a leper? You beg for your living. You sit and you say, I'm a leper, I'm a leper, but can you spare anything? In a city like this, what do you beg for if you're a leper? Hey, rich guy, you got any donkey ear? I don't know. What do you ask for if you're a leper? What do you beg for when nobody's got anything? And they're starving to death. And they turn around and one of them finally says, you know what? What are we sitting here for? We're going to die. Let's go to the enemy camp and let's just surrender. (laughs) You surrender? Why would we do it? They'll kill us. Yeah, maybe. But if they do, we'll die fast. 
You know, you're right. Maybe they'll feed us, and if not, we'll die fast. Let's go to the enemy camp. There are people in our world that give up. Somebody says, yeah, but are you talking about how bad it is? Who, who are those lepers? Well, that's us. No, 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 we're better than everybody else. <laughs> You've got it backwards, Steve. No, we're not. We're the people that know how bad we are. Think about that a minute. I've got friends all over the world who do horrible things. They just don't know they're horrible. They don't know anything about God. Expecting non-believers to act like believers is a foolish exercise. Why would they? They don't know God, but we do. I know how holy my God is. And I look in the mirror every day and I know how unholy I am, except for Jesus. I, I know I'm a leper. I know there's no hope for me. I know I am dead without Jesus. I know that. And you know without Jesus you have no hope, no peace, no future, no joy. You, you know that. You understand. And they go to the camp to surrender because there's really nothing they can do for themselves. And we're the people that know that we cannot save ourselves. What are you going to do? Go to heaven and say, Hey, God, save me because I'm pretty bad. But, you know, Curly, after all. Wow. And Curly might say, Yeah, well, you might think that about me, but Steve. (laughs) And here we go. You think you're going to get into heaven because you can find somebody worse than you? You really want to stand before a holy God and say, Look how good I've been. You really want to make that argument to God? Let me live with you because, you know, you and me, God, are kind of the same. You really want to try that? I'm not, I can't get in heaven on my own. I can't be good enough. I cannot do enough. So I'm hopeless. I get it when they say, you know what? Let's just go surrender. And here they go. And when they get to the edge of the Aramean camp, there's no one there. You know why? God caused their amends to hear the sound of horses and chariots. You know what they decided? They said, listen, I think the king's hired a bunch of mercenaries. We got to get, they're going to kill us. We got to get out of here. And they got so scared, they ran and left their, deserted their camp, left everything in their camp. I cannot imagine how, what those lepers must have felt. Because see, I'm telling you that when nobody sees it, nobody knows it, God works. I don't care if they believe it or not. I know God works. I've seen it in my life. I see it in your lives. God is changing us. God is molding us. God is saving us. God is forgiving us. God is using us. God is doing amazing things. God is at work. Whether this world knows it or not, God is at work. And we're the ones that can go out there and declare His praise so they know there is a God that lives and works. You know, it's really ironic. You're cannibalizing your kids. You're buying dove dung. And for special occasions, you're buying donkey head. And the enemy has already been defeated. You understand that? They're held in slavery and they're being besieged by an enemy that's already been beaten and run away. Our world is enslaved to sin. There are people that are dying in their sin. And they, God let His Son die for them. They can have forgiveness. The blood of Jesus is enough for everybody in early Brownwood, Abilene, Texas, United States, and the world. And they're dying in their sins every day when they have been freed. And they don't know it. I mean, can you imagine? He's <laughs> one of those lepers. And you start out, hello, the camp. Is anybody coming? Are they going to kill us? I don't know. I don't, I don't see any guards. 
Hello? Hello? Nobody's there. And I, here's where I love Scripture. I love the way Scripture understates things. The men with lep- who had leprosy reached the edge of the camp, entered one of the tents. They ate and drank and carried away silver, gold, and clothes and went off and hid them, then returned and entered another tent and took some things from it and hid them also. That's a great understatement. <laughs> you think they just went in and said, Ah, oh, look, nobody's here and here's a little food and here's a little gold. I'm going to tell you, they jumped in those tents. They dove in that food like a bunch of preachers at a buffet. I'm just telling you. That's what they did. Sorry, yeah, but you know what? Yeah, some of y'all have seen me eat. You're going, yeah, I get that. Can you imagine if you're one of those lepers? I do. I just die because I'm starving. I've been begging for stuff where nobody's got anything. And I'm shoving food in my mouth and I'm drinking wine. I'm looking around and I see gold and I see silver and I grab it around and I bury that and I go to the next tent. And I'm not real good about business, but I'm going to tell you, I think I can figure out a business plan for the lepers that makes them rich. In a town that's willing to pay 80 shekels of silver for a donkey head and I've got roast beef here? I could make a fortune. Hey, guy's got 80 shekels of silver. Forget the donkey head. I'll sell you a whole donkey. Hmm? You don't think you couldn't be rich? They con- you talk about supply and demand. They control everything. Everything. God has finally smiled on the lepers. And they're shoving stuff in their mouth. And Then they said to each other, We're not doing right. This is a day of good news. And we are keeping it to ourselves. If we wait until daylight, punishment will overtake us. Let's go at once report this to the royal palace. Well, I'm going to tell you, going, okay, so we're the lepers and we found salvation. I get it. And what's this whole thing about diving in the tent? <laughs> I'm going to tell you, don't you think we ought to be the happiest people in the world? Shouldn't we? I'm amazed when we come to worship and say, oh, thank you, God, for saving me. Oh, thank you, and how are you? We look, we look like we're at a funeral, and we ought to be celebrating at a wedding feast. God has saved us. So what, you think, Steve, we ought to run around all the time going, praise God? Yeah, maybe I do. Maybe we ought to. You don't have to be as exuberant and over the top as I am. That's okay. No, you know, I mean, nobody's over the top like I am sometimes. I get it. But you know what? We ought to be happy. We ought, to be, we ought to come in here with smiles on our faces. We ought to be out in this world when somebody says, Man, why are you happy? You just got laid off. Your wife's got cancer. You Why are you still happy? Because I know Jesus is going to be all right. I'm going to see Him again. We're going to live forever. I'm forgiving them. Our marriage is healed. My addiction is cured. My On and on and on we go. You understand the celebration we ought to be having? We should never, God help us, when we depress people when they come to worship with us. What are we doing? We've got good news that ought to be, we ought to be exuberant and happy and enthusiastic, not depressed. It's a day of good news. If, if you know Jesus, it is a day of good news. And our world doesn't know it. And they're dying. And if we keep it to ourselves, we are not doing right. Shame on us if we gather up in here, pat each other on the back, celebrate, and walk out and shut up in this world. We ought to live different. We ought to serve with purpose. And we ought to speak boldly about Jesus. We ought to tell people the good news. If we keep it to ourselves, 
Shame on us. We are not doing right. And I love these guys because they didn't just decide it. They did it. They did it. I mean, you ever been to church, got all fired up about something and said, boy, that's right, I'm going to be more committed. I'm going to read my Bible. I'm going to pray. I'm going to give, whatever it is. I'm going to talk to my friend about Jesus. I'm going to stop, I'm going to stop being consumed by my addiction. I'm going to quit flirting with my secretary. Whatever it is you committed to do, and you're all fired up at church, and you walk out, and the next day you forgot all about it. You ever been there? You ever had some preacher wind you up and fire you up, and then you forgot about it by the next day? I love these guys because they did it. They went back and reported it. <laughs> Nobody wanted to believe him. <laughs> so the king said, I tell you what, get five of the horses that are left, and we're going to go check this out. Now, I, I'm okay with when we tell people how great Jesus is, or they say, I want to check it out. I say, great, look at my life. You, here's me without Jesus. Here's me with Jesus. Come, come, come get to know us. See why we do what we do. We ought to be the best witness to Jesus, the best testimony for Jesus there is, because look at who we are. And look at who we could have been and who we were without Him. Man, check it out. Now, I, I, I've been around horses all my life. I mean, we've had horses. I've ridden. I, we, I've been around horses all my life. I'm not really a cowboy, but I'm as close as you can get without being a cowboy. And I tell you, I don't know how horses really think, but I just got to put this in. If I'm a horse and donkey heads are selling for 80 shekels of silver, I ain't lifting my head. I mean, I'm, I'm going to bray. I'm not going to neigh. I promise you if I'm a horse. I don't know what they thought. And when... Whoever rode those horses out to a city starving to death, wow. And then they get out, and guess what they find out? It's true! They find out it's true. You, you remember the guy that said God couldn't do this even if you opened the floodgates of heaven? You, remember, you know what his job was that day? They said, here's the deal. You're in charge of keeping order. You're in a starving city, and you find out there's a camp full of food. And you're going to stand at the gate and go... One at a time, please. We'll start with the letter A. If your last name begins with A, one at a time. You know what happened to him? He opened the gate, tried to keep order. You know what happened? They trampled him to death when they were running out to eat. You know, my job is not to make people believe. My job is to tell them the truth about Jesus. There will be people that will gladly accept and be thrilled and happy and come to Jesus. And there will be people that won't believe it and they won't ever get to enjoy it. But you know what? That's their choice, not mine. What I want is to be sure they know the truth to make a choice. Because who am I to hide the greatest news that this community has ever seen? I don't know everybody here today. I've met a lot of you. I've enjoyed it. I've got friendships. I've reconnected with some people. And it's great. But in an audience this size, I think you're one of three places today. We're all one of three places. I'm going to tell you, if you're here today and you're listening to this and you're thinking, you know, I ought to do that. I mean, I know about Jesus. I ought to jump in. I've kind of been one of those guys that doesn't believe it. And I've hung out because my wife comes or my husband comes or my parents come. And I'm kind of coming, but I've never bought into Jesus. I'm telling you, today can be the greatest day of your life. I would beg you to follow Jesus. I'd beg you to let it, to die with Him in baptism and be raised to a new life. I would beg you to ask one of us to help you with that, to ask one of us to talk to you about that. Please don't leave here without making the decision for Jesus because that's all life to you. It is everything. And some of you are sitting there and you're going, you know, this is, this is great, Steve, but I, I, I'm really struggling. I mean, I'm supposed to... I'm worse than the lepers. I, I get it, and I'm here, and I'm acting like everybody says, how are you? And I say, fine, but man, I'm, 
I'm messed up with my secretary. I get drunk every Friday night or I hadn't given in two years to this church. I, I'm a mess. You know what? We're family. You think we've all always been perfect? If you could see the scars we carry from the time we were bleeding and wounded and God healed us. So I tell you what I'm begging you to do too. If you're in here this morning and you're thinking, I'm supposed to be following Jesus and I'm not, I'm begging you to talk to your family. Man, talk to your elders. I, they, they love you. They and their wives will be happy to pray with you, speak God words into your life, walk beside you while Jesus heals you. So someday you say, that's the scar from when I bled. And now it's a scar. Uh, we're family. You say, yeah, but if I tell everybody, hey, we're going to love you and we're going to take care of you. If you, can't, if you don't know your elders, you find somebody around you that has a friendly face that you love and say, can I ask you, would you pray for me? I need help. And we'll do it. We're family. But some of you even today have sat there and you thought, you know what? I need, there's people I need to tell about Jesus. You thought about a neighbor or a family member or a co-worker or a friend of yours that you've not tried to talk to about Jesus. And you this morning have said, you know, I, I want to. I'm going to tell you, we want to encourage you in that. So I'm going to encourage you to, when, either during this next song or during church, after church, you find somebody and say, listen, would you pray for Bill, Sue, whoever it is, my dad, my mom, my friend, my cousin, whoever you're trying to talk to, and say, would you pray for them? Would you pray for me to have courage? Because I want to talk. We need to support each other in that. Encourage each other. Hold each other accountable. So here's the deal this morning. We're fixing to sing a song. And if you want to come to Jesus or you want help with the